Wow. That felt kind of good. Can I do that again? <laughs> I didn't, you didn't have to do that, but thanks very much. I appreciate that. Um, this is, uh, I, I'm so encouraged to be with you. You have really literally no idea, and I, you have some idea, but literally you have no idea how much of an encouragement and a blessing this church is to us on a consistent basis. And I mean whether it's uh, through our, uh, those of you who maintain Facebook friendships with us or those of you who have supported the ministry in a variety of different ways. I, I just want to bring that news here from the farm. Thank you guys so much for supporting this ministry that now has been in Hillsdale County for 17 years. You planted a ministry that's been in a rural community for 17 years and has ministered to over 5,000 students for Jesus Christ. That's your ministry, and I want to thank you. Thank you, guys. I also want to uh, introduce you to Bennett. I almost forgot in the first service. He, it's not quite like forgetting your wife, uh, you know, that you pay for. But uh, this is Bennett. He's one of our volunteers. He came. He's going to stand at the table. So if you want to hear the true stuff about Crossroads, you can go to the table and ask him, and he will give you true answers, like, right like we rehearsed. So, uh, so it should be fine. I'm uh, thrilled for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, whenever I come and I try to give a report about what God is doing uh, in our ministry in the middle of nowhere, I am so thrilled to get a chance to do it, and I am so dumbfounded as to what I could possibly share because there's so much. It's just there's so much. Uh, I'll start with some uh, personal things. We um, took on an exchange student this year. We've done that over the course of uh, the last several years. But we took on an exchange student from Italy. Um, she is, it's amazing because she's from, um, she's from Naples. And now she is in Reading, Michigan. Which I don't know if you know anything about geography. But she left a big city, which is a beach community. And came to the middle of nowhere where it's cold all the time. And she, um, she hates it. Um, <clears throat> she hates it. But here's the cool thing, right? She was, ex uh, she was exposed to Jesus Christ. Uh, we just assume people are in our family. We go to church. We hang out. We talk about Jesus. We pray. And so she's been exposed to that for the last six months. And uh, about three months ago, gave her life to Jesus Christ in a dramatic way. And it was very, very cool. God just moving into our home. So... You don't really have to applaud that. The angels already did, but thank you. That's good. Um, the, the cool thing is, and it's also a difficult thing, it's an awakening for me. Because when I think about first world Europe, when I think about Naples, I, I think, man, that's, that's one of those cities that you want to go and visit. Do you know that we've been in the process of trying to find an evangelical church in that city where she can go. And I will tell you, there is not a single church. And so from our perspective, as parents who love this child, we're, we're thinking, Lord, you've got to love her more than us. We can't do the next thing, which is a little depressing because I really wanted God to call us to Naples. <laughs> like, at least for a month or so, you know, just go to Naples. You have a beach ministry. It'd be fantastic. Nobody in Naples wants me to be a part of a beach ministry, but, uh, <laughs> but I kind of do. 
Uh, I also wanted to just share, my uh, oldest daughter Madison is attending college, uh, um, Indiana Wesleyan University, and she's, um, she did what every other college freshman did. She launched a nonprofit because honors college and straight A's are not enough. You got to do something with your free time. And so she launched a nonprofit called with Eden, uh, Eden with Love, and that is a ministry that um, exists solely to encourage girls in the bathrooms of public high schools. It is such a cool concept. She said, this is where girls go to cry. And so um, she launched that a few years ago and um, really formulated it this year. And um, the schools um, in her area now have adopted it. Marietta Public Schools now are Eden schools. And I told her, you know, most kids just get through college. <laughs> so just slow down because you're going to have a full-time job by next year and it's going to be busy for you. I want you to pray for my family because your seeds in their lives it's also bringing fruit. Your prayers matter more than you would ever know. So please pray for your missionaries. Pray for their families. Pray for the things that they're a part of. Um, I'll share a couple fun stories. So we do two events right around uh, the holidays. And the reason that we do these events is because kids need stuff in rural communities. I, when, when I come to an area like, like DeWitt, I am blown away by how little we exist on where I live. And that, that's not to say I don't like it or that, you know, it's not a choice. What I mean is this, that when you realize that there are no stores, movies, restaurants, there are a lot of diners, okay? There are a lot of pizza places, but there are very few places to go and get, let's say, sushi. I wouldn't trust sushi in, in Hillsdale County. Um, mostly because they're like, well, I don't know what to do with this fish. Let's roll it up and call it sushi. There you go. So um, there, there's nothing like that. And because of that, the expectations for life are quite a bit lower where we are. The tragedies of life in rural communities are astounding. The, death is commonplace. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why tragedy and poverty go hand in hand, but they do. The hardship of life, the types of jobs people work, the conditions they work under, all of those things fill this sort of, uh, this, this, this culture and it creates uh, a tragic situation a lot of times. And our students go through tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, so much so that you begin to understand why their worlds come apart at the seams. They, without the hope of Jesus, they have no chance. They have no emotional anchor. They have no ability to weather the storm that rural communities will throw at them. Um, so we did something really cool. We've done it now for a bunch of years. We didn't intend for this to be an annual event, but, um, but it's become that. We have a couple of churches in the Detroit area that had, uh, embraced us and adopted us, and they said, we're going to do a Christmas party for you. We said, that's fantastic. So uh, they came the first year and did a Christmas party, and they were amazed at how much food our kids could eat, and they wanted to give them something, so they gave them little uh, gifts, you know, that they kind of worked through. And that Christmas party continues to grow to the point where we really don't have room for it anymore. We don't have room for this party. This year, we gave away over 250 Christmas gifts to students in our, in our community. And at that night, at the Christmas uh, party, 
eight students accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It was incredible because they're responding to love. They're just responding. And thank you. Your prayers make this possible. We did a follow-up, and sometimes you got to just risk. So we uh, ran a risk, and we did a New Year's Eve party. Now, for me, that's the stupidest thing in the world because I really like bed. And to stay up until, you know, whenever, and to hang around with a group of teenagers and, uh, you know, party like it was 1999, um, which they weren't even born by. But to do that just seemed like a bad idea. We did this event. We're like, I don't know if anybody's going to come. It sounds like a dumb idea. Kids go to parties all the time. Let's just do it. Let's just Let's experiment. So we threw a party and 120 showed up. So it, what that means is there were no leftover pizzas. That's what that means. We ordered, I think, 50 or 60 pizzas, and they were gone in about 12 minutes. So we said, okay, let's never do this again. It's really expensive. God has been gracious, and he is, um, he is literally changing the face of rural communities. And he is. Some of the students that we're ministering to, um, and I'll tell you one story, uh, one of our kids' names is Zach, and Zach um, was pretty um, deeply entrenched in the popular culture, um, which basically means this, he was pretty severely um, entrenched in drug culture. And so for Zach, um, he was, uh, he's a good kid. He liked one of my daughters, that's another story, but he liked one of my daughters, so my daughter said, well you got to come to Crossroads, and he did. Um, and we met this kid and really started to like him. turned out that he came from what we would term an abusive home, um, and, uh, and he started to uh, attend. One night he attended, and there was a van parked outside and across the little road that we're on, and he went to the van, and my wife saw him go to the van and couldn't help but notice smoke coming from the van. And so she said, well, that does it, man. They're not going to be doing drugs in, right in front of Crossroads. So my wife just walked out. And those of you who know Dawn know that that's what she'd do. I'm surprised she didn't just will it or pray it, you know. I pray that that van explodes. Boom. Or, you know, I will. that the, uh, She does have Jedi mind powers. And uh, so she went out to the van, knocked on the van. They opened the door. And I could see Zach's head sticking out. And to see Dawn is the most terrifying thing in the world because she's beautiful and lovely, and she has total control of your mind. And she said, get inside. So he, he got out of the van, and the other guys were like, what? What do you, what do you got in there that's so good that he'll leave? Um, he came to know Jesus Christ. The long story of this is that because of his relationship with Jesus Christ, his mother saw a dramatic change in his life. His mother began attending church, came to my wife after a church service and said, I've just been diagnosed. They tell me I'm going blind in a year. I think I need God. And she gave her life to Jesus Christ. That home has radically changed. Um, recently, his stepfather has begun to attend. His brother accepted Jesus Christ in the ministry. It is happening to families, not just to kids. And I am telling you, I'm so excited about that because when families come to Christ, a culture changes. So I shared all of that with you because I just wanted you to get the update. Now, um, they've told me that I've got about, uh, I don't know, 30 minutes to go from here, so I will. And I thought I would do something very meaningful. I would share my top 10 tweets from the year. Now, 
If you're not my, if you're not, you know, uh, a follower of mine, that's probably safe for you, good for you. I contend this. The re- only reason I'm doing it, I got a new cell phone. I'll tell you that story in a second. But um, I, I realized this: the technology seems to be dumbing me down. I have a cell phone uh, that I got yesterday, and I had no idea how to move information from one cell phone to the other. There are these little paper metal cards that they insert. I don't know if you know this. Mind-blowing for me. But she didn't even really have to do that. She inserted the, uh, the V-chip and, her, and then put my phone on top of the, uh, this phone, and they talked to each other. I can't even get my kids to do that. It was amazing to me, and uh, it was fant- just a lot of fun. So as, um, as I was looking at that, I, I somehow lost my whole thing. So hang on. I'm, I'm going to get it. It'll be right here. Hold on. Maybe I won't. I, here's what I said. I tweeted this. I think that we are becoming dumber as we stand in line at fast food restaurants. I think this won't be 140 characters, so for those of you who are counting them off, just relax. As I stand in line at a fast food restaurant, I am mesmerized by the menu that I stare at as if there is some amazing new food selection that has arrived in the last two days, and if there was, that I would actually try it. I, I know what I'm getting. When I get in line, it doesn't matter how many things I'm like, oh, that looks good, oh, that looks good, oh, that looks good. I'll have a 20-piece chicken McNuggets, please. I mean, I'm not going anywhere new. It's because I don't like risk. I don't like change. I, I don't. I just don't like them. The other day I tweeted this. I said, I just noticed a car drive by the house really slowly, which means one of two things. I either need to get my gun or I need to put my shirt back on. <laughs> I think that, there, that, that our addiction to technology is filling a void. It is. It's relationship. It gives me an opportunity to say something to people and to have you laugh. And, you know, and, and we can share a lot of stuff. I have a lot of Facebook friends. We share in a lot of stuff. You know what I've determined as I've been w- reading other friends' posts? I've determined this, that we are dissatisfied. We're dissatisfied. Here's um, something that I was thinking about. I was thinking that people are leaving the church at an alarming rate, and they are joining ISIS at an alarming rate. And it doesn't seem to make sense to me. It doesn't seem to make sense, and this is not an anti-Islamic statement. It is just a statement uh, in observation. As I've been watching different videos, it's amazing to me, and as I've been watching the news, it is amazing to me what the ISIS uh, um, um, recruitment strategy is. Here's what I saw in a video, a recruiting video from uh, an imam. He said this. He basically says, if you join the war and we win, you get part of the booty. That's right. I said booty in a church. You get to share that stuff. You get to take part in it. The people you capture become your slaves. The money you capture becomes your money. The property, the cities, the towns, they become your territory. The only strategy for recruitment is this. You will get stuff if we win. And it is a gamble that Western teens and 20-somethings are willing to take. In the meantime, what is the Christian recruiting strategy? And I realized that it, it doesn't play well in our culture. You see, we say this. We say that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against the flesh. But the truth is, almost every solution I have to the battle is a flesh and blood solution. 
That's a dichotomous thought. So as I process what's wrong with our recruitment and why people leave the church, here's what I've come to believe. I believe that what we know about Christianity may be entirely wrong. Wow. Here's what I think. Not entirely mine. We'll go to God's Word in a second because I need to know what God says. We believe that if we continue to progress in our walk, if we get better and better and better, we'll find joy and peace and fulfillment. We'll find all of those things that we seek in this world, in this life. If I become like Christ, and that made me kind of laugh this week. Um, This is a sermon that has been in process. I'm not giving you raw notes. What I'm giving you is notes that, that God is sifting and sorting through my own life. And if I can be really honest, which is what I will always be, it is this, that God is teaching me this. See, as I look at my life, I evaluate the value of my faith by how close to Jesus I become. That, that's my system. That's what I've got in place because we always say we're to become like Christ. And that sounds really godly. That sounds really encouraging. I'm going to be like Christ. I'm going to be like Jesus. And the truth is we are. It's promised. It's guaranteed. Philippians 1.6 6 says that God is going to complete this, this task, this, this thing. We are the priority. But I want you to understand what it means in this life, in this world. It means that I am trying to become like Christ, the Son of the living God, who is eternal and immortal. He is infinity. He is all love. He is without flaw. He's without blemish. He is all of truth. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He is, I, I look at that picture and I think, wait, if this is a math problem, if infinity is at the end of my math problem, and that's the result, that's what I'm going for. And I start down here at zero and I start doing things on my little list. And I get those fleshly things done. I I went to church. I gave an offering. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I I read my Bible. I said some prayer. I did some stuff. I was good today. I realized that after a lifetime of pursuing the infinite God, I am nowhere in the process. You encouraged yet? There's encouragement. There is, and it is in this process. See, God's promised that he will complete the task. In the meantime, where's my encouragement? What's the recruitment for people who are leaving the church in droves? And let's face it, people do leave the church because this is a, it's a constant reminder of how imperfect I am. Every week I come and somebody gives me a list of stuff I got to do. And I got to sit there and take it. And I know I'm not a really good husband. And I know I'm not a great father. And I know I'm not really good with my money. And I know I'm not really disciplined in my prayer life. And I know I don't read enough in God's word. And I know I've messed up. And I know I'll mess up tomorrow. And so when I look at that, I think I've been doing this for a long time. And it doesn't seem to be making any difference. I'm still way down here. And I'm supposed to be there. I don't know how it's going to close the gap. And what I've discovered is this. It is the truth of Christianity. It is wrapped up into one sentence. And I want for you to embrace it. 
it because 2016 will be a repeat of 2015 in terms of challenge and in terms of personal progress. It will. You might shed the 10 pounds, but that doesn't really make you like Jesus. We don't know how much he weighed. We can take guesses. I've seen pictures. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, but he, he, God, said to me, I love this, my grace is sufficient for you. The truth of Christianity, the truth of the gospel, the truth of every word in God's word is that my grace, God's grace, his grace is sufficient for you. It is all the difference. It is the difference between the minutia of what I accomplished today and the eternity of who Christ is today. And that gap is the difference and it is Christ. My grace is sufficient for you. Man. <laughs> you feeling discouraged? I, I don't know if you get discouraged. I do. And I find that I have things, little thieves, that steal my joy, right? There are things that I use that fill me, that fill my life, that, that make me feel good. Sometimes uh, there are uh, things that I get to share with my family. Those things are encouraging and they fill me. Sometimes, uh, you know, it, it's, just, it's just a sunset and it fills me up. Sometimes it's fellowship with other people and I, I love that and that fills me up. Sometimes it's reading something in God's Word and it fills me up. Sometimes it's just being alone with God and, the, and His presence and it fills me up. There are things that fill me up, but I'm amazed at how fast I lose those things. I seem to have a leak. It's a joy leak. It's a peace leak. It's, I, I'm leaking. And it's weird. Because I really want to fill it up, but I can't fill it up as fast as it seems to be leaking. Think about all of the intentions and the promises that you made to yourself around two things. Now, even if you say, I don't make resolutions, everybody secretly in the back of their head is like, you know, I really do think I should do a couple things different this year. If not, you had a perfect year last year. Way to go. Keep that up. You, you could be like Jesus in eternity. I, I, as I was thinking about those things that I feed in, I, I'm amazed at how many things bleed it out. I can't afford to watch the news. Man, I'm telling you, I watch the news. I, I get mad. Then I get frustrated. Then I get scared. Then I get worried. And then I turn it off. And then I turn it back on because somehow I hope it'll be different. And it's worse. <laughs> like I'm amazed at how worse it's getting. I know that's bad English. It's, it's, it's terrible. Look, the, the news doesn't really have a lot of good news. Even in the sports world, if you're an MSU fan, ugh, we had that on at the New Year's party. We had the game on. By like 10 minutes in, everybody's like, I am not watching this anymore. I'm going to go stand in the middle of that room over there where they're doing nothing because pretty much the same thing here. Again, I love MSU. It just broke my heart a little bit. If you're a Detroit Lions fan, no good news there. I just heard that Calvin Johnson is considering retirement. If he retires, I retire. That's it. It's the last one. Here's what I know. What I know is there are these things, these little thieves, and some of those thieves 
are designed to destroy me. And some just want to nibble at my joy, at my peace. It's okay. The news is not a destroyer. The news is one of those little thieves. It's a pickpocket. Put something in your pocket. You feel good about it. The next day you go and you look for it and it's gone. You wonder where it went. I was hanging on to that. Christmas was so good. I had that tucked in my pocket. and uh, Now it's back to work. Or now it's back to the bad boss. Or now it's bad to, back to the things that are so difficult. Listen, we have an enemy. I was reading again in Scripture because I really wanted to, uh, to grab this concept. And in John 10.10, 10, it's my favorite verse. But before that is the, is the precursor to it in John 10.9. John chapter 10, verse 9. So if you have your Bibles, turn there just for a second. There are a couple things that I want you to see. John chapter 10, we'll start in verse 9. It says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Then it says, he will come in and go out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We live in a time that is designed to destroy faith. We live in a day and an age like all days and ages that have been designed to steal faith and trust and love and peace and joy. Everything at battle with us is trying to steal and destroy. I'm less concerned about the little thieves. I'm more concerned about the destroyers. Destroyers are those, those, uh, those things that just want to take it away, that you don't have a right to have it. It's not that they want it at all. A destroyer, like the little kid on the playground that breaks another kid's toy because he doesn't want anybody to have it. Satan is a jealous jealous evil. And the desire of Satan is to destroy anything that you have that he doesn't have. Any presence of Christ that you have, he desires to destroy because you have it, he can't. It eats at him. He knows this is an eternal failure. He knows that he's on the losing end. This is not about stealing or winning a battle anymore. This is just bitter, sour grapes. Him taking it from you. We're in a battle. And so I start looking at that and I think, wow, so this thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What do I do with that? What are one of those things that steals and kills and destroys? I've, uh, I've been spending quite a bit of time thinking about that. Over the last probably four weeks, I, I started a list. And I, I wanted to find what the little thieves were, the things that were ripping things off from my faith. And the list was endless. Everything steals from my faith. Everything steals from my joy. Everything steals from my peace. If I blow it at work, it steals. If, if I see something on the news that makes me mad, if I'm in a conversation with somebody who doesn't see things my way, I mean, there are a million things. And what I realized is this, that the element of my thieves is all based in the same thing. It's all based on the fact 
that I don't think God is capable. I started with the concept of worry, and I'll talk about worry for just a couple minutes. I believe that it's easy to worry. I just took my daughter to college, and I worried. I, I worried, you know, because I couldn't seem to find enough tissue. I was leaking that day, too. It was terrible. I did pretty well until it was actually time to go, and then I was like, I just, I just wanted to be gone already. A time machine would have been handy. It was tough. You send your children away from your home, where you feel like you have some control and some safety, and all of a sudden you're giving up all of that. You're giving it away. It's tough. And I began to worry. She'd send me these cool texts, you know, that as a college student, you understand it. And, but she, she would send this text that said, yeah, me and a couple of my girlfriends, we're going to go sleep out in the woods tonight in hammocks. You're like, there are rapists <laughs> in those woods. That's where they hold conventions. I mean, I, I, I was so freaked out. I'm like, don't do anything stupid. I did them all. They all hurt. Everything's stupid. Don't do it. She keeps on saying, don't worry. I'm like, what do you mean, don't worry? You're like me. I have reason to worry. If my mother knew what I was doing, she would have died from a heart attack. You're telling me the stuff. What, are you trying to kill me? <laughs> Sometimes communication's not that good a thing. I was worried. I'm, I, I had a funny worry this week. This is a funny worry. <clears throat> Those of you who have been following us at Crossroads Farm know that God has supernaturally provided a tremendous amount of finance towards a building project called The Shed. It's a very big shed. It seats about 225 teenagers. And uh, we began the building project, and we set a, set a date to start, and we said, we're not going to start until God provides half. And, we, you know, we did all the things you're supposed to do, and God just came through and started delivering funding to do this incredible project. Now here's where we are. God has provided hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it's been amazing. We now are in the final $75,000 of that project. It has taken God less than eight months to do that. Eight months. Just like, oh, yeah, you can applaud God for that. I worried this week about the $75,000. Like, he's provided $525,000 in eight months. We haven't had to slow the building project at all. We've never come to the point where we're like, well, we might have to lay everybody off. Well, we might have to tell the builders to go home. Nope, we haven't done it. We haven't even slowed it. God keeps just one step ahead, providing, providing, providing. But I worried about the money we didn't have in hand. I'm worried about 75000 as if God had a bad year in 2015 and he's tapped out. <laughs> well, we sold the Beamer. I don't know that we can afford this building project. It's a lot of money, Doug. As if God's ever worried about finance. God keeps on saying, are you a moron? We knew what this was about when you started. This was about faith. This was about you taking a step and trusting me. This was about you believing in great things for the community and me telling you what to do. And you did it. That's great. How can you worry about 75000 Are you kidding? That's not, even, that's not even worth worry. But I did. 
I worry about all kinds of stuff. Sometimes I go to bed and I worry about whether or not I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a, a good program. I worried about how many kids would come to a New Year's Eve party. God keeps on saying, does that matter? I didn't know if numbers were, were numbers really a thing. Were you, you weren't praying about them. You weren't asking me about them. You didn't give me a number to hit. I mean, is that a thing? No. Worry. It's one of the great thieves in my life. I, uh, the second I worry, I'm questioning God's ability. And the second I question God's ability, the second I question God's ability, I have turned every, every achievement back on myself and I've begun to carry the entire burden of the entire world. Destroyer. It's a destroyer. Look, I know life's not easy, but I will not allow myself to live in that presence of worry. I was uh, reading this interesting verse. You probably recognize it. It's from that great, great sermon that Jesus preached. By the way, that's usually pretty good stuff if Jesus preaches it. Usually pretty good stuff. Here's what he said. I, I want you, I, I'm going to start back a little bit. He said, why do you worry? Verse 28, Matthew chapter 6. Why do you worry about clothes? Okay, I never worry about clothes. I, um, <laughs> I don't worry about them because I don't look good in many of them. So why worry? I, I let other people dress me. And if they tell me it looks good, that's great. All of this... My daughters and my, my wife do. I, I, me, I'd be in T-shirts and a jean, you know, jean, a jean uh, today. Here's the thing. This, this one thing, why do you worry about, about clothes? As if God's saying, that's it, that's the thing that worries you, clothes. Clothes are it. I went to uh, Star Wars. The, uh, we took a group of about 30 of us to Star Wars 3D IMAX. That was Awesome. There were times I felt like I could actually steer those things. It was, it was great. I loved it. And we were there. We were watching. We get done with the movie. We come out of the movie. And one of the guys walks up to me, and he's like, you know what bugs me? I said, no, what bugs you? He's like, all right, so let's go back to the last movie. How did Luke's, um, how did his lightsaber show up in this movie? I'm like, that's what bugs you? Like, the, of all the things that, that could bug you, that's what bugs you? Not, notwithstanding the entire science of the movie is incre incredibly flawed, notwithstanding the fact that Luke was kind of in love and kissed his sister, that's disturbing. I mean, seriously, that, the thing that bugs you is the lightsaber? I think God sometimes is like that with us. Really, that's the thing? That your car didn't start? That's the thing? That you don't have a job today? That's the thing. Right? That's the, that's the deal breaker? That your kid misbehaved? Come on. I've seen your kid. That's the thing. That you are addicted to pornography? Really? That's the thing? That, that you have trouble with bitterness? That's the thing? That you're not making progress to being like me? That's the thing? See, in God, who is eternity on eternity, who is immortal upon immortality, there is nothing on my little list that I can give him that's a deal breaker. 
And so there is nothing on my little list that should ever bring any worry. I am learning this. My grace is sufficient for you. Lord God, let me rest in that. Lord, let me feel that presence. Matthew, uh, excuse me, John chapter 5. John chapter 5. As I got to the John 10 passage, I, I loved the passage. I've preached it a thousand times. But I got to a passage in John. And when I, when I was looking at this, this particular verse, I started to think, well, wait a minute. This seems a little messed up. This, this seems a little wrong to me. Listen. The Bible says this. Just critical. He says, why do you worry? Why do you worry? Why do you worry? And then he says this. He says, you worry about how you're dressed. You remember this, this whole thing. You remember where Jesus is talking and he says, you're worried about the way you dress. You're worried about the food you eat. Look at the grass. Look at how beautiful that is. Look at those Look at those, the, the flowers in the field. Look at those. I, I take care of those. I dress those. None of you look as good as the grass. None of you are as consistently beautiful as the flowers. Understand this. If I clothe those things in that beauty, really, this is the thing? And then he says an interesting statement. Jesus says, the pagans run after these things. The pagans. The difference between the church of the living, eternal, immortal God and the rest of the pagan world is this. It is the eternal, immortal, living God in Jesus Christ. There's no thing there's no thing. <sighs> I, you know, I've wrestled with how I make that part of my life because I want to come up with a five-step plan, you know, the three things that will keep me from worrying, that will allow me to rest in the presence of God. Th that's what I really need. I, I really need the, the plan that's going to help me out. I have uh, become more amazing, uh, amazed at the fact that I think that I can do something to bring on the eternal God in my life, to somehow give him better access. John chapter 5, he continues, or John 5, he continues on, and he says this in verse 39. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. This is Jesus talking now. Don't miss this. By studying the scriptures, you're going to possess eternal life. You're going to understand the code. There's the secret code of eternal life, happiness, fulfillment, all of that kind of stuff. You just need to understand the code. And so you study diligently the scriptures. And then this is what he says. He says, these are the scriptures that testify about me. About me, about Jesus Christ. And he says, yet you refuse to come to me to have life.
in 2016, I don't know if it's a resolution, but I've realized this. I've realized that I don't come to Christ. I, 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 I go to the Word. I go to my 12-step programs, and those are good, and those are positive, and there are things we do, and there are things that we live out because we are flesh and blood. But I want to say this, that I have found that one minute spent in the presence of a living and holy God, and I give that minute to God, is worth more than 20 years of my struggling to attain something from Him. To quiet my spirit, to hear His voice, to lay my burdens on Him, and I hear Him soothe me. grace my grace it's all you need my grace come to me it's my grace there isn't a list there's a man named Jesus who was God's only son his grace is sufficient in fact it's not just sufficient for you but it is the life-changing factor that the rest of the world needs and if we as a body start exhibiting the peace that passes understanding from a love of a God that we can't see, hold, touch, they'll desire it because it's what I desire. This minute. With him. my attempt at grasping the eternal and the eternal God are fulfilled with that word grace which is the difference between everything he is and everything I've accomplished wow do I love Jesus wow do I love the cross oh do I need him I need this minute right now when I come into an understanding of grace. I need this minute where I just pour it all out on him and I say, I have no control. 2016 is a scary, worrisome place. You know what, Lord, I just give it to you. I just, it's yours. It's yours anyway. Man, do I love Jesus. My prayer for you, this church, you as an individual, is that this year God will rain his love on you. And you won't understand it, but you will feel it. And that you can love him back. Let me pray for you. Lord God, it's not depressing to realize that you stand in the gap between our feeble attempts and all that you want us to be. And one day, Lord, we'll walk into heaven and you'll say, there, it's done. Father, I love you for that. Lord, your grace is sufficient. And I pray that you pour your grace out on us, that we're aware of it, that we sense it, that we feel it, that we're quiet and in awe before it. Lord, that we find it because we find you. In Jesus' name, amen.